0: had to be able to accept. If I may, just let me make one announcement, particularly for the preachers. uh, All my minister colleagues, they have been impatiently waiting for the appearance of my commentary on the life of David. It came last week, and there are some copies on the table with my other books, and if you're interested, There's enough sermon material in it to last this world and the next, if you should be needing it. I'm glad to be here, and as long as you people look to the Savior and not to me, you'll be safe. If you look to me, oh boy. Will you please find the epistle of Paul sent to the Romans and follow along as I read in chapter 1. The epistle sent by Paul to the Romans, chapter 1, and I'm beginning now at verse 7. Paul said, To all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you, and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First. I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all, that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers making request if by any means now at length I might have a prosperous journey by the will of God to come unto you. For I long to see you that I may impart unto you some spiritual gift to the end ye may be established. If I might pause a moment. I'm thinking about you I'm longing to see you. That's important. That is, that I may be comforted together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and me. Now, brethren, now, 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 I would not have you ignorant, that oftentimes, oftentimes, I purposed to come unto you, but was hindered hitherto, that I might have some fruit among you also, even as among other Gentiles. Now you preachers, notice these three I am's. I am debtor, both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and the unwise. I am up to my neck in debt. I am debtor. So, as much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at, that are at Rome also. Three. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to every one that believeth to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Ladies and gentlemen, the text, I am ready. Paul uses it three times. We'll get them uh, as we go along. Number one refers to the special service. Number two to the suggested suffering. And number three to the supreme sacrifice. I get those off my chest now so the ministers can write them down and go home and preach the sermon. Well, that's the only snag about meetings such as this. We come and we listen and we listen and we listen, and when we go home, we haven't had time to study. Brothers, God bless you. Go home and preach my sermon. (laughs) Now then, when President Eisenhower lay seriously ill in the Walter Reed Memorial Hospital in Washington, Billy Graham was invited to visit him. When he arrived, the doctor said, Sir, you cannot stay any more than 30 minutes because the president is dying. Ike, as he was familiarly known by his friends, greeted the evangelist with a smile, and they sat, at least Billy Graham sat and talked with him. At the end of the 30 minutes, Billy Graham got up to go, but the president begged him to stay longer. And then he said this, and let me repeat in his own words what Billy Graham said. The president looked at me and said, Will you please tell me again how I can be sure my sins are forgiven and that I am going to heaven because nothing else matters now. This man who had commanded the destinies of millions, who was possibly one of the best-known people on this planet, who had dined and conversed with the greatest citizens of earth, suddenly he knew nothing else mattered. You could be the most popular man in this part of the country, but one day you'll be all by yourself. You can amass a fortune, and all it will do someday is to buy a casket for you. Ike suddenly knew all the glamour and all the glory had vanished. He was going out into eternity, And he said, tell me again how I can be sure my sins are forgiven and that I'm going to heaven. And Billy Graham said, I told him, we are not going to heaven because of our good works or because of money we have given to the church. We are going to heaven simply on the strength of what Jesus did at Calvary. He paid our debt in full. And because he did, we can rest assured in that. Then he said, after we had prayed together, Ike looked at me and said, Thank you. I am ready. It's a downright shame that there are so many, many millions of people who can't say that. I am ready. In the Gospels, we read of three men who apparently were ready. Uh one said, Lord, 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 hey, Lord, don't you worry about me. I'll follow you anywhere. And the Lord said, steady up a minute. Foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests. The son of man has nowhere to put his head. And the fellow thought for a moment and considered that to be in a warm, comfortable bed was far better than sleeping under a hedge. And that's the last we hear of him. Another one said, uh, I'll follow thee, but there's a snag. What's that? Well, I'm the eldest son in my family, and according to custom, as you know full well, it's my responsibility to bury my dad when he dies. I'll, oh, sure, I'll come. But not now. Sometime. Boy, he's got a lot of cousins in this part of America. Another one said, Lord, just stay stay ten minutes. I'll be with you. But I must say goodbye to my people first. And the Lord knew that um, they talked him out of it. And sadly, he said, He that putteth his hand to the plow and looking back is not fit for the kingdom. Now is the time to be ready. Three times Paul uses that text. Now then, there's only one way to
1: get at it.
0: When Paul wrote this letter to the church in Rome, and by the way, we don't really know how the church was formed in the shadow of Nero's palace. We don't know. Maybe, it's only a guess, maybe some of those Roman Jews had been at Pentecost, had been converted, and they took the gospel home with them. Maybe when the church was persecuted and the saints were scattered abroad, maybe some of those went to Italy, and uh, anyhow, a church was formed, and Paul had never been to the city. In his missionary journeys, he'd been everywhere else. The word as it was known at that time, Paul had been in all the big cities, he'd been everywhere except... Rome. And you see, that was the one difficult city. Nero proclaimed he was a god, and anybody who denied that was murdered. Uh, Things happened there that were beyond understanding. Christians were fed to the lions. Others were tied to posts in the emperor's garden, and to amuse the guests, they were turned into human fireworks. If you can imagine the plight of the Jews in Hitler's Germany, you'll have some understanding of the plight of the saints in Nero's city. And Paul had never been there. And his enemies emphasized it. They said, ha ha, ha. Any fool can preach elsewhere, but boy, it takes a man to come here. He's chicken. He's scared. That's why he's gone everywhere except here. He's afraid to come. And when Paul heard about it, he wrote this letter. He said, I want you to understand I've been longing to come and see you, but I've been hindered. I'm not scared. I'm not afraid. I wanted to come, and I couldn't do it. But I'm coming now. And he said, I'll tell you why. And his three I am's come in. I am better. I am ready. I am not ashamed. Wait a minute. If I gave you a pastor... A $100 bill to give to one of you, and instead of doing that, he kept it for himself, he'd be a downright dirty, rotten thief. I can't think of any other words to put in the sentence, but you know what I mean. If I gave him something to give to you, and he didn't fulfill his obligation, he'd be less than a man. Paul said, don't you understand, I'm in that situation. God gave me the gospel to give to you. And if I don't do as he told me, I'm no good at all. That's one reason why I'm coming. I have an obligation to fulfill, I have a debt to pay, and I am ready Come, life or death, light or darkness. I am ready, come what? To preach the gospel to you people there at Rome. And he said, I'll tell you another reason. I'm not only a debtor, I'm not only ready. Glory be to God, I am not ashamed. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. He said, I'll tell you something. If the grace of God could save a person such as I, Brothers, he can save anybody. And I want to come so that I have some fruit among you. I want to impart to you what God has given to me. Don't say I'm scared. I am on my way. Ladies and gentlemen, I am ready to preach the special service. Now, fasten your seatbelt. This is going to be tough. One of the most amazing stories to come out of the old China Inland Mission concerned a fellow who came to the hospital, the mission hospital one day. He couldn't see. And the doctor examined the eyes and by and by removed the cataract and after the time of convalescence, that man went home to his tribe 250 miles away. And the months passed by, and one morning that fellow who had been given sight came back, and he was holding the end of a long rope to which 40 blind Chinese were holding. He had gone home. He had told his story of how he'd passed from darkness to light. And the power of his testimony was such. Forty blind men held onto that rope and walked two hundred and fifty miles in the hope. They too would pass from darkness to light. Ladies and gentlemen, my brothers and sisters, in God's name, listen to me. No church is any good unless it's a witnessing church. That's where we are dying. That's why there are empty seats. That's why we've lost our passion and our influence on the world. We are overfed sheep. And we don't need food. We need exercise. How in the wide world do you expect your neighbor's friends, workmates ever to come and hear your pastor if you don't cause such excitement in that heart that he says, dear God, if it's as good as that, I better go. I am ready. I don't want to put you on the spot, but on the other hand, I do. That's glorious contradictions. I'm not talking to the outsiders, deacons, choir members, Sunday school teachers, members of this church. You have a gorgeous church. I know. I go into so many, and in many places, they put me in a refrigerator and they expect me to sweat. You'll never know the value of this church until you go somewhere else. And then, boy, you won't need an alarm clock to wake you up. You'll be awake. But how long? Now, honest to God, some of you have been Christians 40, 50, 30, I don't know how many years. How long since there was a stranger in this church listening to the gospel Because you went out of your way to bring him. It's all right to come and enjoy the word and nobody enjoys it more than I. But ladies and gentlemen, there's a world dying. And we we are the only instrument he has. You reach people I never reach. And if you fail, and they are lost... I am ready. Now then, we come to the second text. And you better look at it because you'll swear that I'm making it up. Turn back a few pages to the Acts of the Apostles. In chapter 21, Paul is as excited as a schoolboy. He knows that in a little while, the feast will be held in Jerusalem. And boy, he's tingling with excitement because he knows that by walking down one street in the holy city, he'll reach more people from all over Asia than he'd reached in months and months. He was tingling with excitement. He talked to the shipping agents, doubtless talked to the captain. He hoped and prayed everything would go well, because he had to be in Jerusalem. He was going to be there. Glory be to God. It was the brightest star in his sky. Well, the winds were favorable, and the tides were right, and he saved time. So he arrived early, and he thought, this is good. Glory be to God, this is good. Now you had better look at it. The Acts of the Apostles, chapter 21, verse 1. And it came to pass that after we were gotten from them and had launched, we came with a straight course unto course, and the day following unto Rhodes, and from thence unto Patara, And finding a ship sailing over unto Phoenicia, we went aboard and set forth. Now, when we had discovered Cyprus, we left it on the left hand and sailed unto Syria and landed at Tyre. For there the ship was to one laid her burden. Come on, look at it. And finding disciples, we tarried there seven days. Disciples who said to Paul, through the Spirit, through the Holy Ghost, that he should not go up to Jerusalem. It wasn't advice. It was a command. Through the Holy Spirit, Paul, you are not to go. And that stupid man disobeyed. No, I haven't finished. He said, I want... I'm going, and I don't care what you say. I'm going to Jerusalem because I'm going to reach all those people. All right, skip a few verses and come down to verse 8. He's continuing his journey. And the next day we that were of Paul's company departed and came unto Caesarea. And we entered into the house of Philip the Evangelist, which was one of the seven, and abode with him. And the same man had four daughters, virgins, which did prophesy. And as we tarried there many days, there came down from Judea a certain prophet named Agabus, a prophet. And when he was come unto us, he took Paul's girdle and bound his own hands and feet and said, Thus saith the Holy Ghost, Here we go. So shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man that owneth this girdle, and shall deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. Now look at this one. And when we heard these things, both we and they of that place, local Christians, including four female preachers, prophets, prophetesses, we all besought him not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, What mean ye to weep and to break my heart? I am ready not to be bound only, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And when he would not be persuaded we ceased saying, the will of the Lord be done. It ill behooves me to criticize Paul, but that was one of the biggest mistakes he ever made. When he reached Jerusalem, he spent the next two years in a dirty, filthy cell. And we'll never know what he thought. Two years when he might have been preaching the glorious gospel to thousands of people. And all he could do was watch spiders spinning their webs in the corner of his cell. I know we all like to have our own way. But sometimes it's good to stop and listen. Sometimes we're like bulls rushing at the gate. We've made our plans, and they're bound to be perfect. Everybody else is making a mistake. I'm right, and we advertise our stupidity. I guarantee it, in God's name, that if in this audience tonight there's a backslider or somebody who's lost the glow, lost the fire, I'll tell you how it all started. I bet you wanted you away. You away. How come, ladies and gentlemen, if a man falls out with his wife, it's never, never his fault. It's always the missus. And when she gets going, it's never my fault. I've known churches to be split because of this. Man, if only we took the wax out of our ears and remembered that the prophet in the cave, oh, he heard the rushing wind and he knew about the earthquake and the fire, but he never met God until he heard the still, small voice. I don't care how often you preach. If you don't see God before you see the faces of your congregation, you'll get nowhere. Jowett said, our English divine preacher, he said, a minister's study should be an upper room, not a lounge. Unless, unless the message stirs my heart. It will never stir the blessed deacons. Unless it turns me inside out, Uh, they might turn me out. Oh, men and women, for God's sake, listen to me. A successful church is one that witnesses, and a successful saint is one who listens. Are you so busy? Man, you haven't time to sneeze. I know people, they, oh man, they haven't time for anything until the soaps come on TV, then they'll sit down for two hours. Can't kid me. My wife loves to watch as the world turns. And then she wants the second blessing, she watches Santa Barbara. And she gets so worked up sometimes, she yells at old John Dixon. Now hang on. If I'm too busy to meet my Lord, then it becomes a sin to watch old John Dixie. I'm
1: not
0: I'm not finding fault with the soaps. I like to watch football.
1: Listen. Listen. <laughs> and then, and then preach a little bit. Yes, sir.
0: But if my master is crowded out, I hear the yells of the cheerleaders, but I don't hear the voice of the Holy Ghost. Boy, I need to examine myself. Paul, you're not to go. He said, shut up, I'm going, and you'll never stop me. Oh, the the stupid, stupid nut. There's only one thing that can be said of him. His strength was his weakness, same as with other Bible characters. But you know, fair play for him, he never quit. Listen now. I know he made a mistake, and I've made thousands, but Paul never quit. And that leads to my third text. This is a beauty. Turn over the page, will you, to 2 Timothy, chapter 4, verse 6. For I am now ready. This is the supreme sacrifice. I am now ready to be offered... And the time of my departure is at hand. Come on, preachers, look at the three F's. I fought a good fight. I finished my course. I've kept the faith. I've come to the end of my journey. And son, Timothy, I'd love to see you, boy, before I go home. But you better put a move on. The time of my departure is at hand. And son, I am ready. Now, the word in Greek is spendomai, which means to be poured out. Doubtless, it refers to the drink offering in the tabernacle, which was totally and completely God's. The other sacrifices, some were shared by the priest, but not the drink offering, all poured out. And Paul said, send! son, glory be to God, I'm going to see the king. And soon, the time of my departure is at hand. Now, um, we do not have, in our English language, a word competent to, to, um, to interpret that, because it's a, com- it, it's a compound word. It's a, it's Lucio is a verb which means to loose, to give liberty, to set free, Lucio. But by putting the little prefix Anna to make it analucio, Lucio, it gives another meaning, to go on a journey. And we don't have a word in our language, one word, to express that, to get my freedom and to go. But I can give you an illustration. When I was knee-high to a grasshopper, my daddy kept racing pigeons. He had 80 of the things. And the only time my father ever hit me was when I interfered with his pigeons. You see, he brought it down to a fine art. On the eve of a big race, he'd take his best bird, sometimes she was seated on two eggs, sometimes she had two babies, but my dad would take his best bird, put her in the basket and send her away for the race. And up and coming Ivor, four years old, I said, Dad, you can't do that! She's got babies! Take that one, or that one, or that one, but don't take her! He said, shut up, kid, you don't know what you're talking about. But he never silenced me that easily. I kept on digging him until he clipped me under the ear and said, go down to your mother. I understand now. Away in northern England or southern Scotland, outside of a railway station, there are baskets, pigeon baskets, all lined up with the cords through the lids. And at intervals, men from the racing federation, and one fellow with a stopwatch. And when he says, no, all the lids go up together and thousands of birds set free. Now In one of those baskets is my dad's pigeon. And if you could get into her mind, you'd find two thoughts. Number one, why doesn't some idiot open this basket? I want to get out. I want the freedom. I want liberty. Old girl? Why? She said, don't be so stupid. I want to get out so that I can go. I've got two babies down in Wales. And who wants to stay in this rotten basket when there are two babies waiting for me? Perfect. Anna Lucia. Paul said, guess what, son? I'm in a basket, this old basket of flesh. Hey, the lid's going up soon. And St. Timothy, once this lid goes up on this basket of human clay, guess what? I'll be on my way home. There's a loved one waiting for me. I am
1: ready to go.
0: I was in the church not too long ago. And the pastor had been to the hospital, and when he came back to the service, he was sad, somber. I said, what's the matter? He said, I've just watched one of my deacons going into eternity. My brother died while I was at the bedside. He said, I'll never forget it. I said, what happened? He said, my deacon looked at me and said, Pastor, you can't get there except through the blood. And with that, his head rolled on the pillow and he was gone. There's only one sure thing about life. It will end. You may live to be a a great age. You may be like me. I've just celebrated my 80th birthday. God has been good to me. I've preached the gospel for 66 years. God's been good to me. Why? I don't know. But humanly speaking, how many more years do I have? When I was 19, the doctors told me I would die if I kept on preaching, but they were out in their estimate. But one of these days, ladies and gentlemen, I shall preach my last sermon. And one of these days, you will listen to your last sermon. Tonight, thank God, I am ready. One story, and I'll let you go home. There's a marvelous story that comes down to us through church history. In the first century, when Nero, the pagan emperor, caused so much havoc to the Christians, he gathered around him, so we are told, the best athletes in the empire. They fought in the arena, they did all kinds of things, and they distinguished themselves in battle. They were known as Nero's wrestlers, and there were 40 of them. And the historian tells us that when Nero's army was fighting in Gaul, news reached the emperor that Christianity had invaded the ranks, and some of his soldiers were renouncing their old religion and becoming Christians. And Nero sent to Vespasian, the commander, he said, I've heard news that some of you soldiers are Christians. Root them out and execute them. And Vespasian called his army and he reported
1: what he'd had. He said, Is it true that some of you are Christians? Because if so, step.